chapter 6 of Exodus. We're actually going to start chapter 5, verse 22. And we'll read to 6, 12. All right, stand if you are able to uh, hear and heed God's word. And thank you so much, Rita, for uh, praying for Mary and I. We deeply appreciate it. It's nice to know that we're thought of in prayer. All right, chapter 5, verse 22. Hear God's word to us, brothers and sisters, this morning. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? In the original, it's uncircumcised lips. Verse 13. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May he bless it. To our hearts and our lives this morning you may be seated all right my dear brothers and sisters in Christ friends who decided to tune in I got some good news this morning and that's this it was good news to me especially coming off of assessment it was a pretty intense time and that's this God does not require his servants to produce Results. 
but rather he requires them to do what he says because when they do, they see that he alone is God. That's the message of the text. That's what we're going to keep coming back to is this. God doesn't require his servants to produce results, but to do what he says. Because when they do, they see that he alone is God. He's the Savior. He's the Deliverer. He alone has the power to save. Can I get an amen this morning? Now, I, I want to make something really clear here. I'm not saying God doesn't expect his people to bear good fruit, good spiritual fruit. But I am saying that the way that we do so is by doing what he tells us to do by faith. We have no power in and of ourselves to deliver people, to change them, or to heal them. And I remember when I was first ordained, um, Pastor Craig, who's going to preach for us in a couple weeks or so, he gave me my charge and he basically said, Santo, I know you like to fix people, but that's not your calling, nor do you have the ability to do so. And it was great to hear that at the beginning of my ministry because it's only proven even more true as I actually attempted to go out in the world and do so as I minister the gospel to people. Now, as a preacher, and over the years, I know that God has chosen, I've seen this in the Word of God, and I've seen it in practice, God has chosen to save and to sanctify His people through the proclamation of the gospel. That's how He does it. It's through the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, as that's preached, and as it's believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. God uses it to save his people and deliver them and sanctify them, make them more like him, right? That's why we're here this morning, part of the reason. We want to sit under the word of God and let the Holy Spirit change us and work in our hearts and our lives. But there's many a Sunday morning, to be quite honest with you, a little bit of pastoral confessions here, where I sit in quiet discouragement and disappointment after I poured my heart out and sharing the gospel and opening up God's word and no one believed, or it seems like it didn't make much of a difference. Certainly not outwardly. Now, uh, I remember a song, uh, many of us probably remember the song, at least some of us who are a little bit older, from the Beatles. It's called Eleanor Rigby. You know, oh, look at all the lonely people. That song. And I remember when I heard it as a young person, as a teenager, I didn't know Jesus. And I certainly didn't even think the pastorate was not even in my stratosphere. Um, it was just kind of a catchy song, didn't think much about it. It wasn't until after I was saved, and then especially once I got into the ministry of the gospel, that when I actually heard the words again, it struck a chord in my heart and brought about such great sadness because I could completely relate to the lyrics. And it was very painful in many ways. And I'm going to quote just the sections that I'm talking about, and you'll see what I mean. Father Mackenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father Mackenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people. Where do they all come from and where do they belong? Well, you're like, wow, what a downer, Pastor. Why are you bringing this up? Well, Moses, here we find Moses in our text, God's chosen man, God's preacher. He's the prophet. 
We find him coming off another seemingly fruitless sermon. Think about this. He goes to Pharaoh as God told him to. He brings the word of the Lord to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh didn't only not listen. But Pharaoh actually made it worse for God's people. Because Moses faithfully proclaimed the word of the Lord that God gave him. And he was faithful in doing that. And then what was the people? You think, well, at least the people would say, hey, Moses, we know what you're doing. Hey, thank you. No. What was their response? This is their response. They, Moses goes to meet them and they say to him, may God judge you. They're asking God to judge him because he did exactly what God told him to do. Welcome to the ministry. <laughs> or welcome to lay ministry when you're just sharing the gospel as well with others. In word and deed. Trying to help them in any ways. In many ways, I should say. But notice what Moses does. And this shows that he was a man of faith. And we can criticize Moses. We'll talk about um, his weaknesses, especially as we get toward the end of this message as well. Because they come out pretty clearly. But he was a man of faith because notice what he did. He went to the Lord in prayer with his, with his disappointment, with his um, bewilderment. In, in chapter 5, verse 30, uh, 22, chapter 5, verse 22, he basically says, why have you brought, the, brought this trouble upon your people? And, and, and he really asks, why did you even send me? What, what's the point of this whole thing? My ministry of the word had the opposite effect of what it was supposed to have. Instead of freeing your people, just brought them more pain and more suffering and then Moses says something you can hear the hurt in his heart because we're going to see through the book of Exodus Moses loved God he also loved his people the people of God the Israelites he says you haven't delivered your people at all now God definitely responds to Moses doesn't leave him hanging and he does so in a very big and a very incredible way. Now, now this is really cool. <laughs> uh, I, I listened to a, a couple of sermons where uh, the, the pastors pointed this out, and I thought, wow, um, they put it so well. So I, this didn't originate in my own mind. But notice what he does here. What God does is he personally preaches a sermon to the preacher. <laughs> How cool is that? God, in effect, says, okay, takes Moses away from behind the pulpit, sits him in the pew. Yeah, there were days where there used to be pews in churches. But sits him in the pew, and then God ascends the pulpit and preaches a sermon for one. Which will be later. Half of the sermon is actually meant for the people. But the first half of the sermon is directed directly to his servant, his discouraged servant, Moses. And the interesting thing here is that this is an inerrant, inerrant, God-breathed message. And maybe now it gives you a little understanding as to why your pastor pastors can't seem to get their nose out of God's holy book, out of the Bible, because we need the empowerment, we need the encouragement, we need the energizing grace of God's word, even more than, than you do in, in some ways. How badly we need our eyes to be fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And don't forget what the name of Jesus means. It means Yahweh, the Lord, saves. 
So in many ways, it was Jesus preaching to Moses. So as we look at this, this sermon, the Lord's Sermon of Moses, in our text, we're going to see, as I mentioned earlier, I want to drive this home, I'll mention a few times, God does not require us to produce results. But he requires us to simply do what he says. Because when we do that, then we see the glory of God. We see that he alone has the power to save. All right? So let's take a look at the first thing. And that is, God does not require his servants to produce results. Now, in verse 1, it's interesting, us sermonizers, excuse me one second, we talk about the structure of the sermon. You have an intro, you have the body, and you have the conclusion. Well, lo and behold, God has an intro to his sermon to Moses. <laughs> and that's in verse 1, obviously. And here's the intro to, uh, to the sermon that God gives. The Lord, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Now let's look at the text and I'm going to highlight. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. And then he repeats it. So make sure that Moses doesn't miss it. That he gets it. Like I did with the main point of my sermon this morning. In other words, Moses, it ain't going to be because of your eloquence. Knock it off. It's not because of your cleverness or powers of persuasion. I'll tell you, I meet a lot of folks who think they're great evangelists because they have this great power of persuasion. And certainly we should try to be winsome and persuade, but ultimately no one is humanly persuaded and argued into the kingdom. It's the Spirit working through us through His Word even as we passionately plead with them to get right with God through Christ. Only God saves. Matthew Henry explains it this way. I love this. Now that after the affair has come to a crisis, things are as bad as they could be. Pharaoh is in the height of pride and Israel is in the depth of misery. Now is my time to appear, God says. Now will I arise. And then Matthew Henry says, man's extremity is God's opportunity of helping and saving. In other words, when we have no help and we are in dire straits and there is no human way of escape, that's when God says, okay, now it's time for me to show up in all my glory. Yes, personal experience. How many times have we seen God show up it's always right in time, according to his time. Now that's an introduction. Look at me, Moses. That's what God is saying to him. Not a Pharaoh. Don't be staring at him. Don't be looking at the Israelites and their bitterness. Don't even look at yourself. All this, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. Mamma mia, what a mantra he had. No, instead, what God says is, I am the Lord. Keep your eyes focused on me. Um, this is a great statement I've reminded you of over the years by Eric Sauer. And he tells us this. He says, if you wish to be disappointed, look to others. If you wish to be downhearted, look to yourself. If you wish to be encouraged, look upon Jesus Christ. 
sometimes the most profound truths, the most helpful truths are the simplest. The things that we can't believe we missed and it was right in front of us the whole time. And that's what God is saying. Whoa, whoa, eyes over here. Eyes over here, Moses. Now you're going to see what I will do with a mighty hand. Now we'll come to the body of God's sermon. At the heart of God's message to Moses is one pithy, very short sentence. And he says it a number of times throughout his message. And it's simply this. Get ready for it. I am the Lord. It's at the beginning. And he closes with it, and it's a few times in the middle. Seems that God's trying to tell him something. We can safely say if there's a theme to this sermon, it's God saying, I am the Lord. It's not about who you are, who your hearers are, or who your enemies are. It's about who I am, says the Lord. In other words, what God is doing with Moses, don't miss this, he's strengthening Moses, he's encouraging Moses, he's giving him um, boldness and power through the proclamation of God's character, who God is, God's promises, God's track record. I said I would do this, I've done it, I continue to say I'm going to do this, I'm going to continue to do it. In other words, he points to his power and his faithfulness, his ability to carry out the, the promises that he's made. Now, there's uh, in a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached. I think this might have been his very first one at his, his first call to his first church. He was only 19 years old. I want you to hear these words. I first found them in the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He quotes them. But listen to this. It's a little bit old school, but hey, we're reading from a, a, a book that's thousands of years old. Look how strengthening it is. So this was Spurgeon said, listen to this. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound, a healing for every wound. In musing and thinking upon the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balsam for every soul. to the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of grief and sorrow, so speak peace to the winds of trial as devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. Oh, that's what... God is telling Moses, look at me, my greatness, my glory, how awesome I am. And God gets very specific up to this point in redemptive history, right? Way back when. What's the mo his message for Moses? There's three things. He's, he gives him a reminder of what he's done in the past, who he is, a reminder of what he's done in the past, and what he will do. So notice what he says at first. He, he reminds Moses of what he's done in the past. And I just want to point out. He says, I've appeared. I've established. I have heard. All past tense. And it's important to see the covenantal language here. That covenant theology is not some theology that we import into the Bible like some kind of boilerplate, but actually covenant theology is what we find in the Bible and we glean it 
out of the Bible because it's there. And this is what I mean. What does God say to Moses? He says, I have revealed myself to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. He connects. Remember, this is Exodus is Genesis book two. Because you may recall way back in Genesis 12, when God called Abraham, how many times he said, I will, I will, I will, I will. And what was the promise? The promise was to make him a great people, which is already partially fulfilled now because Israel went from 70 individuals when they came to Egypt to being about a million at this point. So you can look around you and see the promises being fulfilled. But then there was another promise. I will bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. That promise was yet to be uh, uh, made concrete to be realized. But that's the promise that God is reiterating. I promise them. I always keep my word. And now I continue to promise you because you are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what he's telling them is I have not forgotten my covenant that I made long before you came on the scene, Moses. What I promised, I will certainly do. Then he reiterates the message Moses is to tell to his suffering people. So he told Moses this. He reminds Moses of the covenant in short. And now he says, this is what you are to tell the Israelites. So that's my message to you, Moses. But now I have a message I want you to bring to my people. And then he reiterate, reiterates, beginning in verse 6, I am the Lord. And then he says, let me see, one, two, three, four, I think seven times, I will, I will, I will, etc. And what God tells Moses is truly to tell the people is astonishing. I will free you. He's telling the people, I will redeem you. Uh, a very important word as it goes throughout the history of redemption. We will see that God opens up what that means to that he will redeem his people. I will take you as my very own. I will be your God. That, brothers and sisters, hold on to that one. Because that's the covenant promise from way in the beginning. I will be their God and they will be my people. We, we sometimes miss how, what an incredible privilege and honor. Uh, words, I, I can't even find the words to say how special it is for God to signal, single you out. Single Israel out back then and single out the followers of Jesus and say, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I've made that formal covenant commitment to you. Marriage is just is supposed to reflect that. You know, when we say till death do us part, we're making a covenant for better, for worse in sickness and in health. God is saying, I pledge that to you and tell my people who are now suffering under great bondage from this evil ruler. Let them know, I'm gonna take them to be my people. I will be their God. And this is the first time in the whole sermon, maybe the only time I think in this sermon that God preaches, that it's not about what he will do, but what they will do. Then notice what he says. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. In other words, I'm going to do this to glorify my own name and so that you might know 
that I'm not only the Lord your God who called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I'm the Lord your God who delivered you with a mighty hand from the bondage and the yoke of the Egyptians. He wants them to know with firsthand knowledge, he wants them to know God as creator and even deeper, God as redeemer. And then he gives Moses this great assurance to give to the people in verse 8. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. And then he, he closes it with this. I am the Lord. Now think about this. Moses, um, it doesn't tell us in the text, so I'm, I'm going to let you know this is a little bit of conjecture. But he must have run out of that. Hearing, after hearing that sermon to tell the people good news what God just told them think about it God just told them it's not about you Moses it's about me it's not about your ability to deliver the people it's about what I'm going to do with my mighty hand and this is where like you know we, we hallelujah praise the Lord can I get a witness but then uh, verse 9 records the people's response probably again not what Moses was hoping for. Look at verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites. Remember, God told him to. He said, go tell my people, by the way. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Now, you know, in a very minuscule way, certainly I can relate to that as a preacher. Come on, I preached your sermon, Lord. All I did was repeat what you said word for word. Exactly as you told me to deliver. And they still didn't listen. It reminds me of the story of the youth director that I worked with when I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee at New City Fellowship. He said there was, he was talking about how people complain about how great the sermon is. And he said this, this one uh, pastor tried something, tried a little trick, and he took the Sermon on the Mount and just, just kind of paraphrased it, said it differently than, than it was said like in, in the official NIV. And when he got done with the sermon, uh, a, a woman came up to him afterwards and said, you know, I don't agree with your second point. And, and it's just so funny because he's basically just preached what Jesus preached. And unfortunately, that's what we have here. Now, of course, there is a reason why they didn't listen. And it tells us right in the text, because of their discouragement and because of the cruel bondage they were under. They weren't, they weren't able to listen to a degree and to another degree um, in their suffering. They wouldn't listen. They're like, I've had enough of this. How many times in our lives have we spoken to people who are like, hey, listen, I, you keep promising that you're not delivering in the timing that I, that I expect. So again, there is some encouragement here. Uh, to the preacher. It wasn't had nothing to do with Moses' preaching style. <laughs> had nothing to do with his presentation or his organization. It all, had all to do with the people's inability to hear the wonderful words that came out of his mouth. Words of care, words of, of, of covenant promise, words of affirmation, words of freedom, and words of life. And this time... Moses doesn't approach the Lord in prayer first. This time, the Lord speaks to him. And it's interesting. This time, uh, God doesn't give him uh, an encouraging message, doesn't try to reason with him. God just simply says this. Look at verse 10. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. No fresh revelation this time, no pep talk, no inspirational sermon, just the command to proclaim the Lord's word once again to Pharaoh. And then here we get in verse 12, because Moses isn't done here. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with uncircumcised lips. Again, this is really, this was very instructive to me that even a sermon by God himself didn't mitigate the pain that, uh, of rejection that Moses felt from the people's unbelieving response. And he's right back to his normal MO of doubting himself and more importantly, misunderstanding God's call in his life not to, uh, not to get results or produce results but simply to continue to do what the Lord calls him to do. To trust in God, to trust in his character, to trust in his power, and no matter what the results are, to continue to be faithful to the message that he's given. And that's the, the second thing I want to point out. Much shorter point. God requires his servants to do what he says. So Moses complains again, gives the same old complaint. And this time, look at verse 13. Steady as she goes, God simply says, uh, Lord spoke, simply says, Lord spoke, spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. What uh, an infinitely patient God we have. No matter how much Moses hymns and haws and complains and says he's not worthy and all that, God just, just doesn't even respond, just says, go. I told you to go. Go. William Cowper put it this way, or Cooper, I think you pronounce it Cooper, but it's spelt like Cowper. I'll never will understand that. British folk. <laughs> all right, he says this in his hymn, God moves in a mysterious way. Powerful words that he wrote. Ye, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Little does Moses know fully at this time as he continues to obey the Lord, he is going to have front row seats to one of the most incredible and the most incredible Old Testament events that ever happened, spoken of to this day. And that is God's uh, mighty deliverance of his people out of the bondage of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I also think it's interesting to see that Sometimes sermons don't have effect immediately. Sometimes it has a delayed effect. It, sinks, it takes a little while for the sermon to actually sink in. And that's what I believe happens here with Moses. Because even though he complains once again and says, Lord, I, I can't do this. Um, in the very next chapter, in verse 6, we see this reoccurring mantra that, mantra that goes throughout the book of Exodus. And it says this. Simple sentence. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. 
In other words, there comes a point where Moses stops protesting, where he stops uh, um, saying that he can't do it, excuse me, and he finally settles in of that great message of, of God's here um, that we've seen. God doesn't require us to produce results. That's his job. But what he does require of us is to do what he says by faith so that we can then watch him move in delivering and saving his people. Uh, another quote that I brought to your attention in the past is from Brother Andrew. Um, and he says this. He said he noticed one key difference between people who served God in the Bible and people who claim to serve God today. The people in the Bible disagreed with God quite vocally, but still did what he said. Today, we agree wholeheartedly with God. Amen. But don't do what he says. That was very convicting. Very convicting indeed. Because it's okay to complain to God. It's okay to take your fears and your doubts and your discouragement to him in prayer. Because you're coming to him. Even with those things. But then when push comes to shove, by faith we are still to trust and obey so that we might see the glory of the Lord. Now I'm going to give one example of an application just to get us started. And that I want you to understand it's just one application of many as I come to a close of this message. And it reminds me, what reminds me of this and how it would apply to us today is simply this. Acts 16, 13 to 14. It's where Paul meets a woman named Lydia and he preaches the gospel to her. He shares the gospel with her. She's in Philippi. And I'm going to read this for you and... Um, Make a couple comments and then we'll pray. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman, a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. Here's the verse. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Listen, my brothers and sisters, it's the Lord who makes a way where there is no way. It's the Lord who brings life, new life, where there was no life. It's the Lord who raises the dead. And who raises those who are spiritually dead to new life in Christ. What are we called to do? We're simply called to speak the words of life. To pass on the message of the Lord that Jesus died and he, he, he is risen, he rose and that he is now ascended to the right hand of the Father, that all who repent and believe in him will be saved. And yes, we're going to have times like Moses had where he gets shut down before he even starts. I remember, I think of the example of um, my son going to Mary Ellen's mom, his grandma, trying to witness to her as I had done and failed miserably when I first met her. I remember sharing the gospel with her and I remember her saying to me, well, I guess I'm going to hell. And that was, whoop, that was the end of that. Over the years, we had a good relationship, but didn't really have as many opportunities to witness. And then as she was, uh, she ended up having cancer 
And Caleb went and shared the gospel with her. Or I should say tried to, excuse me. And he put a Bible in front of her and he goes, Grandma, you know what that is? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, I know what that is and I don't want to hear it. Shut him down. And then before she passed, um, I prayed and said, Lord, how can I share the gospel with her one more time? And the Lord led me to write her a very brief note and make a long story short. She read that note and she believed. She repented and believed. And I was able to go and uh, lead her in prayer. But my point in saying that was not look at me. I mean, it's just the opposite. You just do what God says. And God's the one who does the work. He brought her to new life. He led her to repentance and to faith. And brothers and sisters, that's you and me. Let's not give up in well-doing, and particularly in sharing the good news with friends, with neighbors, with relatives, with co-workers, with strangers, knowing that God is going to use it for His glory in His time, and we can sit back and we can say how awesome and glorious and almighty and powerful and good is our God. Let's covenant to do that more and more as this year unfolds. Uh, that we might have a, a testimony to give about God's mighty deliverance, not our own. Um, we'll pick it up there next time. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Please forgive us for our guilty silence at times when you have told us to speak and we are ready, um, as Dave would often say, we ready answered for them before we even told them the good news. Forgive us for our unbelief. Uh, forgive us for being so centered on ourselves and our own abilities that we forget to see your ability to do whatever it is you've said, where all your promises you can and will keep, especially in Christ Jesus our Lord as we lift him up. And so, Lord, be with us, your people, embolden us, encourage us. Let this message sink in so that we believe it with our whole hearts and that we get to see you work in so many ways um, so that you take the center stage, which you are already in, and that we will recognize and see others recognize that in their lives and in our city and wherever you send us. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.